Sometimes I like to imagine the world after us, the strange mammals that will emerge, the abundance of biodiverse plant life taking over our fields and factories and so on. I don't think this world will be better. I maintain that we are the most interesting thing to happen on Earth, and there is real beauty and meaning in our curiosity and compassion, even as we also cause and witness so much suffering. But at any rate, there will be a world after us, after each of us. And that's why there's life insurance. It exists to provide a financial safety net to those who love and count on you. Policy Genius's technology makes it easy to compare life insurance quotes from America's top insurers in just a few clicks to find your lowest price. With Policy Genius, you can find life insurance policies that start at just $292 per year for $1 million of coverage. Some options offer same-day approval and avoid unnecessary medical exams. So save time and money and provide your family with a financial safety net using Policy Genius. Head to policygenius.com or click the link in the description to get your free life insurance quotes and see how much you could save. That's policygenius.com. Policy Genius. Because there will be a world without us. Hey, so before we start the podcast today, we want the podcast to be a place where you get a break and where you are okay. Um, But we do want to say to the many listeners we've heard from who are not okay because they are living in a conflict zone or because they are living with sudden profound uh, fear and insecurity in their lives, uh, that we are sorry and we hope that things get better soon. Yeah, thinking about you. Yes, we are, uh, we are thinking about you. And those of us who pray are praying for you. Hello and welcome to Dear Hank and John. Or as I prefer to think of it, Dear John and Hank. It's a podcast where two brothers answer your questions, give you DBS advice, and bring you all the week's news from both Mars and AFC Wimbledon. John, do you know why uh, dad joke rhymes with bad joke? Why? Because they both, because like dad and bad rhyme. (laughs) It's just lazy. It's just lazy. I just, I expect a harder work. You laughed. I did laugh. I have to tell you, I've been doing this dad joke that I'm really fond of, where instead of writing an emoji, like instead of typing an emoji, I type the words laughing oh, while crying. Yeah, yeah, emoji, I, do I do that too. I do that too. <laughs> or the words skull emoji. Uh-huh. The words praise hands emojis. Yep. I do this oh, because love sometimes it. because it's too hard to find them. I'm like, I can go yeah. find that emoji, especially when it's in the faces. All the fa- yeah. I'm like, I want this one specific face. And it's like, uh, pick it out of these this this huge lineup of acres of yellow circles i can't yeah i don't don't have that in me you know it's interesting you bring that up hank because in a time of really big problems i like (laughs) to focus on really small problems the biggest problems that i can't find an emoji i love the idea of going to the emoji people and saying listen Mm -hmm. we feel that there are too many of them (laughs) 
It's gone too far. There are too many faces that we can make. We need to go back to only having 10 to 12 facial expressions. Yeah, it's interesting. There's a lot of them I don't. There's a lot of them I don't use. I would be curious yeah. to know which of the faces are the ones that that are that are least used. Um, and right. I'm sure that someone in somewhere has that data because they know everything about us, John. I Right. I, here's here, Valerie also pointed out something recently um, that yeah. is ridiculous about our phones. Do you have the situation where when your alarm clock goes off on your phone, the snooze button is giant and orange and that just turning it off, which has got to be the more common use case, is like a tiny yeah. little button? It's almost impossible to find, especially in the dark. It's super weird. Yeah. Like, do people snooze more than they stop? Maybe they do snooze more than they stop. So what inevitably happens is that you think you've turned off your alarm. Yeah. You go about your day. Yeah. We really are hitting the big this is the, issues This is the here, real, the real problems that we face. You think you're going about your day and it turns out that, that you've only had snooze and your alarm goes off again when you're like in the car on the way to work. This is these are the crises of our of our historical moment. Yeah, it's a little hard for me to make the pod right now. I'm really happy to talk to you because we haven't spoken outside of the project for us in, in like a month because we've both been pretty busy. <laughs> yeah, it's just a pleasure to spend an hour with you. But gosh, I um, yeah, just, we've got to. We are here to. What are we here for? We're here to answer questions and give dubious advice. That reminds me, Hank, our first question actually comes from a listener named Vlad who writes, Dear Hank and John, should I quit? Yeah. And if by should I quit, you didn't mean your job and you meant something else, still yes. Yes. Okay, Hank, we're going to go for a hard tonal shift now. And we are going to ask this question from Gabby who writes, Dear John and Hank, (laughs) what percentage of things do you think we have discovered? (laughs) It's a real, it's a real tone shift. Yeah. Um, well, it depends on what you mean. If, if like you're talking about all nouns everywhere, it's definitely basically zero. <laughs> oh, I was going to say, if you're talking about all nouns everywhere, it's basically a hundred percent because if we've got a word for it, we know what it is. Oh, that, well, what? Except you, for dark matter. The, the th- things, <laughs> most, first most, of all, most of it. First of all, there's lots of stuff that we have words for, but we don't know what they are. For example, that's like you, I know you exist. I know you're called yeah. John. You remain, right. you know, even after all these years, somewhat of a mystery to me. But also, you don't like. There's things that that don't have names yet, and we don't because we don't yeah, know what they are. Like just rocks on other. Like also, there's lots of things that don't have names at all. Like there's lots of rocks on Earth that haven't been discovered yet because they're underground. Are there elements we don't know about yet? No, we know about all the elements, which is really interesting. Um, I could Are we exp- sure? I could explain to you why we know that. Um, but but you're sure? Y- well, um, we we know about all of the elements that can exist naturally. Yes. Mm. Mm. There may be some that we could discover. There's this like very mm. sort of fringe idea that there is a, a on the other side of a of a little plateau or a, or an energy hill. There is a, a an island of stability where an element could be created that would actually last maybe for more than a nanosecond. Um, but it's a pretty fringe idea. And, and mostly when they mean when they say that, they mean that it might last millise- milliseconds instead of nanoseconds. So um there there is certainly the possibility that we will continue to make new elements that will exist for a short amount of time before they decompose into other elements. Um, but there are none that That's are a big out relief there. Because yeah. I'm, I'm still keeping my fingers crossed that there's going to be one named after me, but not you. 
Yeah, I mean it's possible. Um, I don't. I just think that would be amazing. You'd have like to, if they <laughs> named if they named an element after the one who wasn't the science one. Yeah, that would just be Chef's Kiss. Amazing. Well, for me. you know how they what you could do is sometimes they name it after people, yeah. but they often name it after like the like a university or mm-hmm. a country. Mm-hmm. So you would yeah. need to found either a university or a country that would then go on to discover that element. So mm-hmm. get started, John. I know that you're not busy. That seems likely. You know, it seems like I could found found a university. I wouldn't put it past you to start a university, honestly. <laughs> like in in your sixties, I think you could do that. Like I, I could absolutely I see that. Think happening. of a job I would like less <laughs> than founder of new university. Yeah, I don't <laughs> Just, know. That sounds also not to get good. to get your name on the element, you'd have to call it like John Green University, which I might just go all the way, Hank. Just go go real risky and call it John Greenium University. (laughs) (laughs) And be like, listen, the element is already named. It's just up to y'all to discover it. Forget it. I'm not funding a university. I'm just funding like a group of eight scientists. I'm going to spend my... All the Fault in Our Stars money, forget about the Sierra Leone project, all the Fault in Our Stars money is going directly into, not a university, just a vanity project right. to discover a new element. Well, I'll tell you what, John, that's going to that's gonna get you uh, at least half a percent there. All that, all, that, <laughs> all those resources. I'm going to have to solicit a lot of like public donations. Yeah, yeah. I'm going to try to have to get millions of people on board with this pure, it's, unadulterated vanity project. Man, it's going to be, it would be a lot easier to get a microbe named after. If you want a microbe named after you, we could have that happen within a year. Oh, I do so badly, actually. Right. That would be so cool. Are you kidding? That might be cooler than having an element named well. after you. Having like, as somebody who thinks a lot about microbes, it would be really cool if I could think about the microbe that was me that was also a microbe. Maybe, and maybe you could even be infected by your own <gasps> microbe. I love it. Yeah. I love it. I I, <laughs> I love that. I love it up to a point. Um, <laughs> and the point is, I don't... I don't want to get sick with my microbe. Yeah. Well, this is the great news, John, is almost all um, small little critters on Earth are not human pathogens. And you could go ahead and put one. Somebody asked once what would happen if you ate a tardigrade. And I was like, it would die like immediately. Mm. Mm. Because in in order to do the thing where they're like really tough, they have to they have to have a little bit of time to prepare for it. So if you just got Mm. them into that stomach acid, I think that they just crack open pretty quick there. What percentage of things have we discovered? <laughs> oh, I, again, I think zero. I think that like basically zero percent. Mm. It, it depends on your definition of thing. Like if you're talking about like yeah. what percentage of like how the universe works have we discovered, then I think that it's a it's a it is a double digit percentage. But if you're yeah, talking like about eighteen percent, yeah, well, it could say. also be eighty percent. Like this is the weird thing. Like I don't. It's at least eighteen <laughs> percent. I would agree with that. I don't think it's eighty percent. We don't know, but I yeah. think that it's a manageable amount. Right, and then we do know what a lot of the matter in the universe is. So, like, if we think about it in that yeah. terms, like, what we percentage know, like, of the stuff yeah. do we know what it is? Not a huge percentage, but still more than zero. We, yeah, we know what that stuff is in terms of it's like, like we could have guesses about what element it is. But then like on an individual exoplanet, there's going to be a lot of things. And we've not, right. we don't, we haven't discovered them. We don't know what the rocks look like. We don't know, We like if you, we don't even know a lot where a lot of the rocks on earth are, you know? 
Yeah. Like uh, you can find a rock for the first time and be like, I'm the first, I'm the discoverer of this rock. Yeah. We don't know what a lot of the rocks on earth are. We don't know what a lot of the rocks on Mars are. We've never been to Jupiter and, and, and all that would only represent like yeah. one, one hundred billionth of one, one hundred billionth of the known universe. So yeah. we have a long way to go, which is, I think, encouraging. That's right. And then the, we're only we're only talking about a universe where we know everything. I just realized we're only talking about the universe as it currently exists because we also have not discovered and are not aware of how things were in the past, especially on That's our planet, right. uh, especially when it comes to society. Like almost all of human history is lost. All of yep. the of the things that those people sang about and believed and danced for, all the choreography yep. from prehistory, yep. it's just gone. So, yeah. We don't really know with any certainty what the size of many pre-agricultural uh, communities were. Like, we used yeah. to have these really strong guesses, and then it turned out that maybe our guesses weren't as strong as we thought. We don't know almost everything, which I think is exciting. It's thrilling. We can figure new stuff out all the time. And if we lived in a universe where we knew everything, it would be boring and sad. Unlike the current world, which is interesting and sad. <laughs> John, we've got another question. This one comes from Rachel, who asks, Dear Hank and John, what exactly are companies and governments talking about when they say net zero carbon emissions? I get the concept <laughs> of offsetting emissions, but how exactly are we doing that? How is this measured? I'm not an expert. It seems like maybe there's some cushion room in the data that allows companies to make these claims that aren't necessarily true. Also, how beneficial would net zero be? I think people hear this and might think zero harm to the planet. Is that accurate? Green, but I'm not on Friends. Rachel. Mm, that's Rachel Green was the character that Jennifer Aniston played on Friends. Yes. And Rachel is interested in the environment and so is Green, which right. also we are. But we are actually Green's very closely related to Rachel Green from Friends. John, do you want me to talk about uh, how we measure carbon emissions for the next 30 minutes? I want you to answer the question in less than 30 minutes, Hank. <laughs> okay. So there are a number of different goals that a company or a government could have. You could have net zero without offsets. You could have net zero with offsets. And both of those things are not as good as you can do. So net zero without offsets is better than net zero with offsets. So net zero with offsets would be saying, we look at all of the uh, energy that we consume that came from fossil fuels. We look at how much carbon dioxide that, that that produced into the atmosphere. We do our best to get a lot of it from renewable sources, but that stuff that did come from fossil fuels will offset that by you know, doing carbon capture or by funding projects elsewhere that capture carbon permanently through reforestation or something like that. And uh, and that's good because like all these things are good. I should start out by saying all these things are better than doing nothing. You learn uh, new ways to ca capture carbon that way. You uh, create new markets for uh, renewable energy and for carbon capture. So that's good. You're spending money to decrease the amount of uh, carbon emissions in the atmosphere. The second thing is you say we are going to produce all of like the unequal amount of kilowatts of renewable energy as what we consume. So if you consume 100 kilowatts of electricity this year and you produce 100 kilowatts of renewable electricity, you call that net zero. But it's not actually not relying on fossil fuels at all because almost definitely what you are doing is producing uh, those 100 kilowatts during some portions of the day, but not all portions of the day. So you are 
selling some of the energy that you produce back to the grid. And then at nighttime, when there isn't solar electricity being generated, you are still relying on fossil fuel powered energy. So then you have a third thing that's called 24 seven net zero. And that means every hour of the day, you are not relying on fossil fuels. Mm. All of these things do different things. All of these things encourage different uh, innovation. Um, and so if you are doing 24-7, you're innovating in battery as well as in solar and and other renewables. If you are not doing 24-7, you're innovating in like grid management and you're innovating. And if you are also doing offsets, then you're innovating in carbon capture. So all of these things do different things, but they are all definitely better than not doing anything. Right. Was that half an hour? I wasn't quite half an hour. Um, so I appreciate your relative pith. But I think that's a, I think that but I think those are all really important points. It is better than nothing and it is not enough are those are gonna be some of the catchphrases for the next 10 years. We have to yeah. do what we can do now, and we also have to push to do much more. Yeah, and I, I mean I should say that 24-7 uh, carbonless energy wasn't for for a large scale operation. You know, you could obviously do this if you had an off grid home or something. But you know, that's a lot. Of, that's a goal that a lot of like bigger, specifically tech companies have now. And it was not like five years ago. It was not something you could even aspire toward. Mm-hmm. Like the the technology did not exist to have mm-hmm. it even be possible. So as a person who's been concerned about climate change for um, decades now, I. I, I am maybe a little bit more hopeful than I used to be because I've seen that change can happen and I've seen that technology has been pushing the envelope on what's possible. Obviously, I'm still very worried. Um, so like an increase in optimism is not necessarily optimism. Right. We have to accelerate the speed of change and the fact yeah. that it has accelerated over the last five years does not mean that it will accelerate fast enough over the next 10 years. And so that's no. that has to be a shared human goal for us. And I think that's true yep. on a family level. If you can become a zero carbon family, if you can, mm-hmm. but I, but it's obviously most true on an institutional level, the level of corporations, the level of governments. Um, yeah, we have to accelerate the change. So thanks for explaining that to us. You got You're it. the reason I got solar panels, Hank. It wasn't enough, but it is helping. And now we are figuring out what we can do to get to that 24-7 no carbon yeah. space. Yeah. And I mean it's 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 acting as if the problem is big and real, and it's also uh encouraging the creation of of new technologies that are really uh moving fast and having big impacts. Yeah. I love our solar panels, they make me really happy. I like mine too. They have gamified my electricity usage. (laughs) (laughs) In Montana, it's a bit of a bummer when they start uh, getting covered in snow. And you're like, oh, well, I guess. We had had like five days where they were covered in snow and I was was bummed out. But they're they're going good so far for us. All right. Um, Let's answer this question from Amanda, who asked, Dear John and Hank, why does soup heated up on the stove taste better than hoops heated up? I'm just going to stick with it. Why does hoop <laughs> seated up on the stove taste better than hoop seated up in the microwave? Warmly, Amanda. Aww, warmly great, great sign-off. Great sign-off. Yeah. I, d- d- 
Do you can you taste the difference between microwave hoop and and non microwave hoop? Absolutely not. <laughs> no. <laughs> I can barely taste the difference between peanut butter and jelly. <laughs> I can. I mean, I can. I don't even take the time to reseat the hoop sometimes, John. <laughs> and in Hank in Hank's family, every soup is a gazpacho. <laughs> Why did I just say gazpacho? What the way I just said gazpacho was so weird. I've got to. I have to teach myself how to say gazpacho. Gasp- oh, do you? I'm all the way down the rabbit hole now, man. Right now, I'm just thinking about what would have happened if instead of saying good soup, um, Adam Driver had said good hoop. Good, good hoop. That was really good. Uh, <laughs> no, wait, well, thanks. wait. Pretty- you have an Adam Driver. <laughs> That I just have a good soup, John. That's 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 a hundred percent of my Adam Driver. I've uh, I've good I've good souped a lot of times. Catherine and I good soup regularly. Oh, because you regularly apparently eat cold soup directly out of the fridge. <laughs> it's called it's sold coop, John. Thank you very much. That's what we call it in the green household. And and I I do. Catherine makes I Catherine makes a great chili, and I I don't. I don't mind. You know what uh, cold chili is? It's just great salsa. It's like <laughs> stick a chip in there, and it's just like honky chalsa. Dang it! <laughs> that wasn't on purpose. <laughs> honky chalsa. <laughs> That's my new brand of, of cold chili. It's called Hank's Honky Chalsa. You can get it at Albertsons. <laughs> It's an Albertsons exclusive. <laughs> you can only buy it in drugstores. It's, it's actually because of certain regulations. <laughs> you can't buy counter. it in a grocery store. It's not technically yeah. food. It's Hank Green's Hunky Chalsa. <laughs> yeah, you have to talk to, you, talk talk to your to doctor your today. <laughs> they have to keep it behind the counter with the Sudafed. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, you have to fill out a little form when you get it, too. <laughs> Amanda, there is no way that soup tastes... Like, I think that maybe... Uh, I think that maybe the, the stove heats it up more evenly. But that's... Other than that, it's heat's heat. It's just it's just molecules bumping around. Oh, my God. So I... Oh, my God. I probably, maybe that your house fills up with the smell more if you got it on the stove. And then you're like, mm, I can't wait to have that soup. I'm so grateful to be able to share with all of you that today's podcast is brought to you by our lead sponsor, Hank Green's Hunky Chalsa. <laughs> Hank Green's Hunky Chalsa. Ask your pharmacist. This podcast is also brought to you by almost everything. Almost everything. We do not know about it. <laughs> and of course, today's podcast is also brought to you by Hank's Adam Driver impression. I'm not letting it go, Hank. I, <laughs> I'm staying. I'm, I'm keeping I'm keeping hoop oriented in the sponsor reads today. Thanks, I appreciate it. And also, this podcast is brought to you by knowing too much about how different organizations calculate their emissions. Knowing too much about how different organizations calculate their emissions. It's just what it's just how I live my life. We also have a Project for Awesome message from John from Kalamazoo to us, Hank, John and Hank Green. Thank you for distance community, for unironic enthusiasm, wholesome distraction, radical hope, and uncomplicated joy. You two are a large reason I'm a librarian in training, hoping to give those benefits to those around me. John, you're the reason I've abandoned the social internet. Hank, you embody my Judith Butler-inspired beliefs about performance and identity. 
Nerdfighters, you are my internet family, and I love you. Not Darnell, John. That's lovely. Thank you nice. so much. That summary, Hank, distanced community, unironic enthusiasm, wholesome distraction, radical hope, and uncomplicated joy. That's that's just Oof. that's exactly what I hope I can bring to the that's world. What I'd like that's what I'd like to do. And I'm sorry that the joy is a little more complicated at the moment. Oof, yeah. This episode of Dear Hank and John is brought to you by Zocdoc. Look. There are, I think it's fair to say, some imperfections in the American healthcare system, but there are ways that it actually has recently gotten easier. I don't compromise on a lot of things, but I do not love feeling like I can't find the right doctor for me. And I've gotten very lucky that I have found some good doctors for me. When it comes to your health, there shouldn't be compromise. Don't go back to that one doctor who uses your appointment to catch up on the latest headlines slash their family group chat slash their crossword puzzles just because they're available right now or they happen to take your insurance. Instead, like you don't have to keep going back to a doctor who you don't like. You can check out ZocDoc, a place where you can find and book doctors who make you feel comfortable, who listen to you, who prioritize your health. And you can search by location, availability, and insurance type. So literally, no compromises. Because with ZocDoc, you've got more options than you think. ZocDoc is a free app and website where you can search and compare highly rated in-network doctors near you and instantly book appointments with them online. Once you find the doc you want, you can book them immediately. No more phone calls and waiting on hold with a receptionist. We don't have time for this anymore. And these doctors all have verified reviews from actual, real patients. Booking appointments with tens of thousands of top-rated, patient-reviewed, credible doctors and specialists. The typical wait time to see a doctor booked on ZocDoc is between 24 and 72 hours. That's it. You can even sometimes score same-day appointments. Go to ZocDoc.com slash DearHank and download the ZocDoc app for free. Then you can book a top-rated doctor today. That's Z-O-C-D-O-C dot com slash DearHank. ZocDoc.com slash DearHank. Every time I know it's coming and I'm like, I'm going to have to say doc, ZocDoc.com right now, aren't I? And then I do. I'm getting good at it, everybody. ZocDoc.com. This episode of Dear Hang John is brought to you by Thrive Market. Thrive Market is there to help you maintain the kinds of habits that you want to have. For me, I need to have the right kind of food in the house or I will eat whatever. Oreo recently sent me some free fancy Oreos. They were weird. I ate all of them. I ate all of them in a week and it was a problem. I can't do that. I need to have healthy, good stuff in the house and Thrive Market can help you have healthy habits. It's a great go-to for all your grocery and household essentials and the convenience of getting everything online and then like just quickly ship to the doorstep. It's a huge time saver. Thrive Market carries brands with great ingredients and sourcing methods. They got Amy's, Banza, Burt's Bees, Chobani, Honest Kids, Kind, Mike's Hot Honey, Oatly, Olipop, Poppy, Salt, I've never heard of salt, but it's got two A's in it, so it has to be good. And as a Thrive Market member, you can save money on every single grocery order. On average, you can save over 30% every time. And they also have a deals page that changes every day. When you join Thrive Market, you are also helping a family in need with their one-for-one membership matching program. You join, they give. Join in on the savings with Thrive Market today and get 30% off your first order, plus a $60 free gift. I enjoyed my $60 free gift. I was surprised by it, and it was the kind of thing I wouldn't have bought. And then now I'm like on the ghee train. They gave me free ghee. And I was like, I don't know what ghee is. But then I was like, oh, this is great. It's like butter, but it's different and more spreadable. <laughs> Go to thrivemarket.com slash dearhank for 30% off your first order plus that free $60 gift. That's thrive, T-H-R-I-V-E market.com slash dearhank, thrivemarket.com slash dearhank. 
Hank, I want to ask this question from Thomas because it's also a question I have at the moment. Dear John and Hank, I have always been a very motivated and hardworking person, but I'm noticing as I get to my late 20s that my motivation has become less consistent. Like from childhood through college, I was able to really work hard for any given amount of time needed to accomplish a goal I had in mind. But now I get these bursts of intense motivation that are followed by lulls of low ambition where I have trouble bringing myself back into the work mindset. Do you have any suggestions for dealing with peaks and valleys of motivation? I think I can. I think I can. Thomas. I wanted to ask this question because, Hank, I've had a very low motivation period really for the first time in my life. Oh, well, wow. I, I guess that's not true. I had a low motivation period that began in sixth <laughs> yeah. grade and ended when I was a senior in college. But since then, I've been a pretty highly motivated person. Yeah. I guess there um, were a few times when I got, when I, when I lost my marbles. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I wasn't going to bring it up. Yeah. I mean, tell me if this rings true to you, John. Yeah. There are a lot of tips and tricks for how to increase productivity, and a lot of them are about motivation. And um, in but in my experience, mostly what does it is being who I am in the and and like doing what I feel like doing. Like I just don't think like yeah, none of those tricks have ever worked for me. And I am motivated when I am, and I am not when I am not. And I just kind of chase, and I and I just kind of do what I feel like. I I was just saying to Catherine this morning that one of the things that has been a really useful skill for me is not something that I learned. It is just how I am that when there is a thing that I have to do that I really don't want to do, I have to do it. Mm. I have to do it as fast as I can. Mm. Yeah. And that is not, I like, that's not a behavior that I see a lot of other people replicating, mm. but that is just how I am. Yeah. And it is not something I've worked on. Right. It's just how I am. I, on the other hand, like I was talking recently with my best friend, Chris, and I was like, you know, something we have in common is that we both really don't like doing things we don't like doing. And I know people <laughs> who can do things they don't like doing with a minimum of fuss, but I'm not one of them. <laughs> like I <laughs> really dislike doing things I don't like doing. Yeah. And the more I don't like doing it, the less I, the, the more unhappy I am with having to do it. Yeah. But do you do it? Because some people just don't. I have learned. Ever do I have it. learned to do it, and the way that I've learned to do it is to break it up into um, discrete parts that I can get through, and to really celebrate yeah. getting through those discrete parts as they come, rather than what I used to say to myself when I was in high school and college, which was a normal person could do this easily. What's wrong with you? Right. And yeah, why yeah. are you so stupid? Why are you so lazy? Why are you this and that? Instead, I say, oh, my God, like other people don't have a hard time paying the bills, but you sure do. And you just paid one. And now you're going to pay yeah. another. And that's going nice. to feel amazing. Yeah. And right. changing that self-talk has been key for me. But I, I've i been in a period, and I think it's partly because like, I finished a book and um the world is weird. And I, I I think there's a lot going on, but like, I just don't feel the urgent need that I once felt to do everything all of the time. I just don't. Mm-hmm. And I've seen yeah. that in other people around me and I don't, so I don't know if it's like a wider phenomenon, but I feel like I... I want to, I mean, I have to do a lot of work. Like, obviously, like I have, a, you know, I'm a busy person and I have a lot of work to do every week and it's not hard for me to have a 40 hour work week, 
but I don't feel mm-hmm. the urge to have an 80-hour work week, which I used to feel very strongly. Maybe I will get there. I don't, mm. I'd cer- I at the moment, I don't 80-hour it, but I've never 40-houred it. No, um, you never have. And but but one of the one of the things that I think maybe is useful is that I ha- I I keep things that I will really like to do mm. um, for when I am experiencing low mm. energy. Mm. Um, and so like I, I I tend to like put away things that I'm really enjoying so because I know that mm. they will get done because I'm enjoying mm. them. That's interesting. Um, and I, I that that maybe is a habit that I have built up Mm-mm. or it is just that like I am scared about some other things that aren't going to get done if I don't do them right now. But, right. Um it is it is nice it is really nice for me to have a lot of different kinds of things that I have to do. Like I have to do, you know, budget stuff mm-hmm. and I have to do um video stuff and I have to do TikTok, which obviously is also video, but it's a very different kind of video. Right. So there's just like a lot of a lot of different structure to my to my work. And then also like, you know, the stuff that isn't traditionally work, but it is still occupation and then it occupies time, like um, you know, spending time with family and doing fun things are also mm-hmm. um I'm I am motivated to do them. Yeah. Because I haven't been doing them all day. And I think um, if you I, find I that you're not motivated to do even the things that you enjoy or that bring you fulfillment, then you need to like check in with somebody. Right. Like that's when you need to sort of reach out and saying like, oh, I feel really kind of disconnected from this stuff or whether that's reaching out to a therapist or whatever or some, some adult you trust. But in general, I think it's pretty normal to not like doing the things you don't like doing. And like a side effect of being in your late 20s is that there are some things that aren't that fun that you have to do, like taxes. Yeah. And like Uh some people enjoy doing taxes. I don't. But I understand that the consequences of not doing them are... such that I want to do them. <laughs> right. The the fuel is uh is thinking about my future self. Yeah. And, and maybe I, that's to, to me thinking of right. thinking of it in terms of of what my different fuels are for the different things can be helpful. Yes. Um and and like why do I want to do these things? What is motivating me? And sometimes recognizing that it isn't necessarily healthy stuff. Right. Uh, and sometimes it is. Right. So at least knowing the difference. Yeah. I mean a lot of I I I, I think that's been a big adjustment for me. For so long, I mean, my the whole first like ten years of my career was motivated intensely by like resentment and fear and lots of other fuels mm. that burned really, really dirty, but really, really bright. And yeah, I have you know, in the last ten years, I've had to sort of rebuild those fuel structures, which has led to like lower productivity, but better life. Yeah. I have published fewer books in the last 10 years than I published in the previous 10 years, but I'm both like happier (laughs) with the books and happier with the circumstances that led to their writing. Yeah. Well, that's for sure. I can 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 back that that. up with anecdotal evidence. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, yeah. No, I mean, I think. That, but that's yeah. It's it is it, it you'll, you you've already experienced this to some extent. But like you're uh, you're you get older, but your books stay the same age. You know, like yeah, mm-hmm. I'm not 28 anymore or 27. However old I was when Looking for Alaska was published, and I'm certainly not 24, right. which is how old I was when I wrote most of it. 
but it's still that age. <laughs> like it's still it's still me then, and that's <laughs> like that's part of why yeah. that you know why why people like it. And it, it, so it's just it's a weird it's a very weird thing that I never imagined would be a problem for me. But because of course I thought that all of my books would quickly go out of print, like most books do. Um, so I'm grateful for this problem, but it, man, it is weird. John. Yeah. I have a question that is definitely for you. It's from Violet, who asks, Dear Hank and John, at the interview for my current job, I told the man who has become my boss that I liked the Liverpool Liverpool scarf that was hanging on his wall. He asked if I was a fan, and I said yes. I was nervous and trying to make small talk, and I thought that we could bond over our shared love of the EPL. What's the EPL? The English Premier League. The problem is... I am an Everton supporter, a big one. The problem, the other problem is that my interview was two years ago and I have been living a lie ever since. How do I explain to my boss that I hate his football team? Well, so Hank, for context, Everton and Liverpool are local rivals. Uh, I, I would say as a Liverpool fan that to Everton, we are their biggest rivals, but... (laughs) <laughs> for us they're kind of our second biggest rivals right okay because manchester oh, okay. united are I was, our I biggest thought you were rivals say, but like to, that to us everton is an afterthought we don't even think about them but even i mean everton fans would be so pissed off to hear that um but it, i mean but it's kind of true like yeah um every every year when we beat them in december um <laughs> they sing a song called merry christmas everton anyway um <laughs> Uh, this is a tough one because at this point, yeah, it's quite a lie to live. Yeah, I mean, you're two years into a pretty serious lie. That's one of your only points of connection with the person who, probably at least in part, decides your compensation. Uh, uh, well, I hope that it doesn't stretch that. I far, only have du- did, I only have the, dubious the, advice <laughs> on this front. Um, uh, here's my dubious advice, Hank. Okay, you wake up, uh-huh. you go to work. You go uh-huh. into your boss's office and you say, yeah. listen, last night I had a blinding light spiritual awakening. <laughs> the Lord came I to wanna, me. I want to invite the you Lord came on to the me journey I have gone on. <laughs> like Paul on the road. And what he said to me was, starting today, you have to become a huge Everton fan. And I said, yeah. okay. Anything else? And he said, no, that's it. And then I said, okay. And so now I am an Everton fan starting today because of my blinding light spiritual awakening. Thank you for understanding. I like the anything else. (laughs) (laughs) That's really good. I wasn't expecting that. Well, because you figure that like if I know if God um, came to me and was like, you need to become an Everton fan, I would say, okay. But like, surely that's not the biggest and you'd be like, no, that's it, man. <laughs> Everything else is good as far as I can tell. <laughs> yeah. Maybe, yeah, like, what are the other ways that this can happen? You had, so like big, you had a, you had a procedure. You went to the, oh, to the doctor yeah. and you, or you hit your head uh-huh. and you woke up an Everton fan and you yes. can't fix it. <laughs> or, ooh, marriage. You got a new, you got a new. No, marriage uh, is not big or enough. Or like your. It's got, but it could be something like, I. My personality is now fundamentally different. I mean, the thing is, like, just like my friend Raj, who co-hosts the podcast Men and Blazers, always says that, like, to be an Everton fan is to be deeply familiar with suffering. And it's so true. Like, 
Like there's this Colombian player, Hank Luis Diaz, who just signed for Liverpool in like mid-January. And Luis, okay. Luis Diaz has won more trophies playing for Liverpool than Everton have won since Luis Diaz was born. Like, like Liverpool <sighs> have won more trophies in the last year than Everton have won in like the last 30 years. Sounds sounds tough to be an Everton fan, John. Guy, they guy. But but maybe th- like at least it, if it was the other way around, this would be a bigger problem. Yes, because at least you're you not like gonna a like glory win. Hunter. Yeah. Right. Yeah. You're just like I'm a I'm a fair weather fan. I never I never liked. Yes. So but but this way it's you know there there will be an element of oh poor you. Yeah 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 totally. I think your <laughs> boss will feel bad for you as any Liverpool fan does for any Everton fan. Like I think it, it'll be a feeling of like I'm sorry <laughs> I'm that, sure that that happened that. to you more than anything else. Oh man. So you're right, right Hank. Well. If, if it was switched around, it would be like well that is really uncool. But this yeah. way, I almost think that you're going to be okay because you're going to walk in and you're going to say, I'm an Everton fan, and your boss is going to be like, oh, God, that sucks for you. <laughs> so sorry to hear yeah, that. Yeah, like my condolences. But you're not, you don't think that you can, you don't think you can bring the boss along and be like, <laughs> no. look, I have changed my ways <laughs> and you can do. There is a future for us together where the revolution starts now. No. No, okay. no, no, but I think it is time to transition to talking about football, Hank. No, I can't. I have to ask you this one more okay. question, John. Right. It's from Emily who asks, dear Hank and John, because it's also about personal transformation. Great. Is there any way to eat asparagus without your pee smelling like asparagus? <laughs> Why does this happen? And is there an antidote? Someone has just asked me in a public bathroom if I recently ate asparagus. Emily, P.S. I had just eaten asparagus. This is, you did, you are not the problem. You did nothing wrong, Emily. A crime was committed in that restroom and you did not commit it. Do not talk. Do not reference about... the odor of anyone's bathroom emissions. Hard stop. <laughs> so, so first of all, do not concern yourself with this. Second of all, absolutely, it is possible. You have to do germline genetic engineering on yourself. Yeah. Uh, which is which which is not not impossible, but is very difficult and uh, da- fairly dangerous. Definitely inadvisable. Uh, actually, it wouldn't definitely it wouldn't have to be germline. You could do it somatic, but the, but uh, then you wouldn't confer that benefit onto your children. <laughs> I mean, the, it's a very marginal benefit. <laughs> it's a tiny one. This is complicated. Um, and I think, and it's it's complicated because there isn't just one smell. Uh, there's a bunch of different smells to asparagus mm. pee. One of them is the extra strong one, mm. and there are some people who do not produce that smell, but they produce other ones. Um, and so I, I don't think we've even gotten entirely to the bottom of the complexity of a of asparagus pee smell. Mm. Though there is a doctor who was interviewed, and they said, "I, for one, do not produce a urinary odor after eating asparagus, and I can definitely confirm that others do. And this is a person who probably smells a good a bit of pee. So I, th- I think that it's safe to say that there is a possibility, and it's a, it's a genetic thing where you just don't produce the smelly compounds. But I think there's probably going to be pretty complicated. There are at least 871 known genetic variation. There are I think it's going to be pretty complicated. There are at least 871 known genetic variations that cause the inability to smell the asparagus in your pee. So maybe you should just do that to the rude person in the bathroom. <laughs> there you go. 
I like it. Well, now it's time to talk about AFC Wimbledon. Okay. Goodness gracious. AFC Wimbledon have not won a game in 2022, Hank, and it's March. It's March. We're in March. You're going to be so good when you're in the league below the one you're in now. Or will we? Will we just still be bad? We would not have a particularly good budget in that league. Currently, so after 35 games in the last five seasons, AFC Wimbledon has been either 20th or 19th four times. And the other time we were 24th. So we are currently 20th. We are we are two points clear of the relegation zone, but only because there are four truly dreadful teams in League One right now. And I mean, there are 11 games left in the season and we are somehow going to have to do what we have done for the last five seasons, which is find a way in the last 11 games to get in the neighborhood of 15 points. So we got to win five of our... Yeah, five of our last 11 games, probably, to stay up. Um, So we're here again. We're here every season. It's super frustrating. It's hard to say that it's the manager's fault when we've had three different managers and been in this situation over and over again. Um, But it's a a real problem. And we, we just... I say this every year, but we just have to find a way to stay up and then find a way. I I mean, there are financial problems at the club just because we have a very high interest loan right now um, to pay off the rest of the stadium. Mm. And the Mm -hmm. only way to kind of get out from under the burden of that debt is by fans loaning the club money. So right now the club is doing a second... um, Plow Lane Bond, where uh, fans can loan the club money and get an interest rate return that's pretty good, actually. And um, but you know, of course, it comes with a certain set of risks. I'm not an investment advisor, uh, <laughs> but um, but yeah, it's just a really difficult situation again. So I'm yeah, I I don't know. We had a fairly good performance over the weekend playing Wigan, who are second in the league. We lost 1-0, but we looked okay. And so maybe we will start to, I don't know, maybe we'll start to do a little bit better, but it's been a very frustrating experience the last few weeks. Well, the news from Mars is also frustrating. Oh. Um, so so the the Rosalind Franklin, so the Rosalind Franklin rover is a part of a mission that has already begun with the 2016 trace gas orbiter that was sent to Mars. It's a joint project between the European Space Agency, ESA, and Roscosmos, Russia's agency. It has been put on hold. Mm. Uh, it will be d- delayed for mm. clear for clear reasons. Yeah. Um, basically, the the launch vehicle is Russian, and they design these things to fit in specific launch vehicles. Mm. You can't, you can't like put them in a different one um, easily. So the the basically it's just, it's just all up in the air. It's it is an exciting mission. Um, it it we every every active rover on the surface of Mars is very exciting. Um, but there uh, there has not been an official decision made yet. But they've made comments specifically. Of course, citing the invasion of Ukraine and, and sanctions uh, as the reasons behind the delay, uh, and what what that means for the future of the mission, we do not yet know. Basically, <sighs> thanks for potting with me, Hank. Thank you, John. I appreciate it. Thanks for being my brother. It's always good to have you to talk to uh, when I need someone to talk to. Same. 
You can email us your questions, and please do, at hankandjohn at gmail.com. We don't have a podcast without them. This podcast is edited by Joseph Tuna Medish. It's produced by Rosiana Hals Rojas. Our communications coordinator is Julia Bloom. Our editorial assistant is Debuki Chakravarti. The music you're hearing now and at the beginning of the podcast is by the great Gunnarola. And as they say in our hometown, don't forget to be, to be awesome. awesome.